Super Talk Mississippi Media Production. Super Talk Mississippi and SixPackSpeak.com proudly present This is your Godfather. This is your General. This is our show. This is Super Talk Mississippi. This is our show. Brian Haydad and the Godfather, Stephen Agostinelli, our yearly get-together. We get together more often than that, but for this for this purposes, Stephen, welcome back. I appreciate it. The, uh, when, we, when we did This Is Our Show, it was more therapeutic for any, than anything. <laughs> you so need I'm it? Missing my weekly, you need I'm it? missing my weekly therapy <laughs> sessions and... Uh, this will help a lot, I think. Well, you say that we got you know some angry some angry people on the other line that they're going to make us feel really bad about ourselves. Let's bring them in now. Let's start with the oldest and maybe the smartest, probably so, of all of us. That's the great Marty Agustinelli coming to us from the Pacific Time Zone. Marty, what's going on? How you doing? This is the best week of my year. <laughs> <laughs> I just can't wait for Saturday. <laughs> It's uh, gonna be a tough. When, tough when, when, which part of the show is the part where I get to predict forty-two to three? <laughs> That's my normal prediction. This, this year, that might not be it. It might be a little higher. Let's I don't say, know. Marty, this might be the year. My prediction is higher than yours. I'm just going. Oh my gosh! Good. We got an opportunity here. Uh, also representing Mississippi State, representing the Dog Nation, if you will. John Agustinelli joins us. John, how are you? I am doing great. Joe, Joe, Joe. What is happening? <laughs> Joe, Joe, Joe. It's not normally you with the, the musical entrance. That's that's supposed. Well, to you know up. what? I figured I figured we're about to hear from the loudest one in, right after me. Yeah. So uh, so I had to I had to bring a little something, yeah. even though it was lame. I got you. And then of course the man who represents all of the stereotypes of the middle child, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> The Italian Stallion. I, here, go ahead and press play, Chris Augustinelli. Oh, that's not right. Oh, Stings. Stings. Enough, enough. Why is his audio cut? Yeah, that God only question. knows. Maybe you know God's doing us a favor there. All right. Chris, are you there? Speak. He's not even listening. He's just he's just playing the thing. <laughs> I don't even know what to say right now, to be honest with you. Never thought I would open up with Rocky Top, but I couldn't resist this week. Yeah, well, we, we appreciate I, I, I thought it was just a uh, representative song for, for the uh, weekend uh, coming up. Okay, well, we appreciate that. Not really. Does that hurt a little bit? It, it stung. It stung a little. That's okay, though. Uh if you've never listened to the, the LSU version of this podcast, this is how it's going to go. Uh, or give you a little background. Obviously, you know, Stephen Agostinelli runs sixpackspeak.com. Our relationship is well known. We are first cousins. But these are all his brothers. Marty and Chris went to LSU along with their one sister, Kathy. John, Stephen went to Mississippi State along with me. And uh, we get together once a year. And, uh, you know, we had a couple good years there, guys. Bulldog guys, where we, could, we were in the fight. I don't know so much about this season. I want to start off, though, talking about LSU. 
And uh, we'll start with Marty. Marty, you were at LSU the last time they had a high-powered offense back when Billy Cannon was on the field. (laughs) (laughs) But I was there when Tommy Hodson was there, and they had a pretty high-powered offense. They were pretty good. But this is sort of what we've always been talking about, right? If LSU could ever figure it out offensively, they're going to be scary good. Seems like they figured him out. Is it inter- is it different for you to watch this team than any other LSU team in the past? Well, yes, yes obviously different, right? I mean, I, again, you walk into a game and you don't really worry about scoring points. I mean, even when we get down, I know we're gonna we're gonna. I know it's a pretty good chance we're gonna drive the length of the field and score. And I was even telling, uh, I think it was maybe Chris the other day, or, or maybe Stephen. I said, if you want to see what Joe Moorhead's offense is supposed to look like, that's this is what LSU's running. Yeah, I mean, L, you know, you guys know that you know LSU's assistant offensive coordinator was a grad assistant under Joe Moorhead at Penn State. Mm-hmm. You know, the guy's name is Joe Brady, and you know he basically has brought you know all the elements of Joe Moorhead's offense, but a little bit of probably some elements of Sean Payton's offense when he was with the Saints uh, to LSU. And again, this is this is what the offense looks like when you have talent, you have a really good quarterback and good receivers. Chris. Joe Burrow is a quarterback, you know, you guys know this, I was never really high on uh, until he started playing the way he's playing. But has he even surprised you with how good he's been? You know, Joe Heisman's got a lot going for him right now. Here we go. is off the charts already. Burrow is uh, the epitome of cool, calm, and collective. And he's always had that little bit of, uh, you know, confidence about him that that, may irk the opponent's fans a little bit, but you got to love him if you're an LSU fan. And, uh, you know, he's a, he's a, he's a, going to be a great quarterback, I think, in the future, too, in the NFL. But his stock is rising, and I think the scheme fits him perfectly. And all offensive line, I think, is an element here that kind of goes unnoticed. Joe Burrow has a lot of time this year, yeah. which was an issue in last year's team where he had to do a lot of scrambling and, and really just couldn't, seem to get it, get it going. This year, it's a totally different story. He's in rhythm, and his receivers are just flowing. And It's a team effort, but Joe Burrow is definitely the uh, cog behind the wheel there. You mentioned the line. Obviously, that's a subject near and dear to all of our hearts. Uh, <laughs> they were uh, no sacks. Is that right last week against Florida's defense? Is that correct? I believe you know, so. I, I was at the game, so I didn't really hear okay, the, yeah. the feedback. Marty? There, there were no sacks. Okay. And I, well, I mean, I, I, I'm not even sure if he had that many hurries. I think it was it was pretty clean game for the offensive yeah, line. Yeah, against that Gator defense, I mean that's that's very very impressive. And I, I watched I, the first half again tonight on television, mm-hmm. and it, there was a couple times where he scrambled uh, and ended up picking up yards, which should have probably been sacked. So that's another thing that, that he gives you is he's he's a playmaker. He's not a in the pocket passer necessarily. He has to run. He's athletic enough to to make things happen. So. Uh, it was apparent last week against Florida that he did that as well. All right. Well, that's the good offense portion of the show. Now I'm going to talk to John and Steven. Uh, John, I mean, disappointment is the right word. I mean, this team has just not looked, you know, this program has not looked the way we thought it was going to look over the past 20, going on 20 games now. For you, what, what, what's the part that bothers you the most? Well, I mean, I'm going to go back to last week. Just, hey, well, I mean, you can look, go back to the, last, to the previous two weeks, it looks like we're just unprepared. Mm-hmm. And when when you have the start off two games like we have with Auburn and then with Tennessee, with basically what you want to call negative plays, that never that never bodes well for the rest of the game, especially when you're playing the SEC opponent. Even one as 
bad, quote unquote, as we thought Tennessee was. Yeah. But you know, other aspects of, of 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 the team where I thought the offensive line may be a, a strength of the team, it appears like it's not a cohesive unit, and and if if the line's not blocking well, when you have one with Stevens being a new quarterback to Mississippi State, and then Schrader just being a freshman, everything seems to fall apart. And that that, that you know, it's just I mean, I can I, you can just go on and on and on about what's disappointing about this season. Mm-hmm. Did we think we were going to be three and three? No, I thought we might be five and one mm-hmm. going into this game. Yeah, uh, uh, you know, Auburn being the the you know the the loss possibly, but. But, you know, losing to Kansas State and definitely losing to Tennessee. Tennessee's loss, to me, it wasn't Maine, but it's real close. Oh, wow. Okay. Alexa, can you order positive attitude on the shopping list, please, for my brother John? (laughs) (laughs) We're all out of that here in Mississippi. Uh, Stephen, I'm not even going to ask you a question, man. Just just get after it. It's it's like – nine years old again <laughs> and Rocky Felker is our head coach and just the expectations I have no expectations or I do know what the expectations are it's just a loss complete and utter disappointment <laughs> it's it's like I'm listening to Jack Crystal again with no TV <laughs> but, but the fact it's going to be on TV at 2.30 with the whole nation watching it it's torture. I, I literally, I want Joe Moorhead to win. Like I think people have said this all week. He just from afar seems like a great guy. You know, he represents the program well. As far as you know, Sylvester Croom in that regard, but he's also Sylvester Croom in the regard that he just sucks. <laughs> and he, well, he, he stop he laughing at us, whoever week. it is. Quit mocking our pain. <laughs> he, he even said that this week. I'm crying. So sad. He, he said I what, suck. He said I sucked. He said well, he Steven, sucked. Steven, Steven, what's what's even more glaring are some of the comments that we heard from for, former players. Yeah, yeah. That that's about a troubling the culture. Thing. I think, and, and Brian talked root, about that. That's a root cause there. I mean, if that if there if that is if there's any shred of truth to that, and I have no reason to doubt those guys. You know how they're feeling about when being received at the program now, then then I, that that bubbles up and affects what's happening current with the current team. Yeah. What is, do you think do you think though that Sylvester Cream would have noticed Brian's nice haircut? But that's possible <laughs> that he would not have. Well the, 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 interesting, the interesting question is will he take the Ruggers job? You know, does he does, does he realize that this is he's in over his head and he's made a mistake? Some people have talked. You know, when you take another job, you reset the clock. So if yeah. Joel Moore hit, he's got a, then he'll have essentially he'll essentially have another four years of making two to three million bucks a year. And you know, if, if his goal is not that his goal, but if I was a if I looked like I was going to be fired, I'd reset my clock right now. And every indication is that Joe Moorhead not that he'll be I don't think he'll be gone this year unless he leaves on his own accord but every indication unless he just turns it around he'll be gone after next season yeah so might as well reset the clock and make another eight to nine million bucks what's interesting you know, to me is that is Moorhead is Moorhead just stubborn 
that we're starting to see some of that. Yeah, that it, it, it's sort of you know he's going to run this offense, and, and and if it doesn't work, it just doesn't work. Sort of the same thing so, that Kroom has. Like you look at Tommy Stevens too. I mean, he he's playing that guy, and it's clear to me that he's he's not any good. Mm-hmm. But, you know, but he, but yet he keeps going back to him. So I think I think partly with Tommy Stevens is that you know for, if he could have remained healthy. But I think that's partly on Tommy Stevens too, is that he does not remain healthy. Yeah, I think he's just he gets hurt easily, apparently, or he's just not he hasn't been able to recover this season. Yeah. But the first couple of games, and he and not that Southern Miss is anything any good team by any stretch of the imagination. But was he ten of eleven before he got hurt? Yeah, nine nine of ten. Nine of ten, and he Tommy Stevens did a pretty good job in the Louisiana Lafayette game. I just think. But you can tell the the pace of when Garrett Schrader's in the game, and having the ability of a, of a quarterback to to gain yards with his legs. Stevens does not have pocket awareness, and but like if Stevens is running straight ahead speed, he can get some separation. But of him like being elusive in the pocket, that is one thing that he does not have, and that's one thing Garrett Schrader does have. And it's almost like we have Nick Fitzgerald again but possibly a little bit better passer at this point in time because he's a freshman. But if I just I don't know if it's too complex. I, you know, watching – I posted this today on Six Pack, but watching the SEC film study that they did last year after the La Tech game, and that was one game that I think Nick Fitzgerald had like five TD passes. But the complexity of the offense and what makes it different between than what LSU is running could be talent – it could be that Joe Moorhead runs a more complex system. I have no idea, but it's obviously not working because every time we play it, every time we play a defense that is that has some talent, we are scoring what ten points a game, maybe. Well, you know? Stephen, this is my thing. You're talking about the complexity of the offense and so forth. Um, the coach down south now, when he was at Mississippi State, he. I uh, simplify the offense to match the talent he had at the quarterback position. Uh, I mean, you can go back all the way to Chris Relf and how he kind of developed Chris Relf and put um, uh, put Chris Relf in a position to succeed. And, and, he, you know, he, and, and that's not happening. That didn't happen last year with Nick, I don't believe. And, I, and it's not happening this year. Grant Tommy Stevens has been injured, but but Garrett Schrader and Garrett Schrader is a freshman, so it's a little bit more difficult to judge. But from what last year with Nick, Nick, I have not seen. And you're saying you somebody mentioned stubbornness. That's got to be part of it. And Brian, when you had that, when y'all had that film study with Moorhead with the media and the complexity of the offense, it's two reads initially, right? You're reading one: are you going to hand off to the running back, or is the quarterback going to throw? Mm-hmm. I mean, is the quarterback going to run? Then after that, if he makes a decision that if those two aren't there, then he's got two more re- or two or three more reads as far as the patterns mm-hmm. to 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 throw the ball. But when you're doing a zone read, you're either you're running a defined run, right? You're reading the defensive end, and you're either hand off to the running back or you're going to keep. But if we're passing, and I, I, I admit I'm no obviously no offensive guru, but when you're more, I would think Mullen would call us a designed passing play mm-hmm. instead yeah. of running an, an RPA. That, that's correct. That, 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 has, is, that is correct. It has four or five options yeah. where you can run or pass. And you got to make this decision every time. And I, I don't know if it's the difference of SEC defenses and the ability to close and 
three tenths of a second, but that three tenths of a second it might be the reason it's why huge. his, his offense huge. is not working at Mississippi State with the talent that we have. It's so funny to me thinking about these two programs right now because if you go back to August of last year, <laughs> State was the team that everybody's like, all right, they're on their way up and they've hired this new coach and he's going to take them to that next level. And LSU, well, they're stuck with Orgeron and we'll see what happens. And now here we are, you know, 14, 13 months later, LSU's number two in the nation. They probably should be number one, and Mississippi State is completely floundering. And I think it just goes to show, for me anyway, and Marty, you tell me if you disagree, that the margin for error at State is so slim, and at LSU it's much, much bigger because LSU is always going to have talent. They just got to figure, you know, a way to stay out of their own way a lot of times. But for State, they have to have, you know, they almost have to have a guy like Mullen who, you know, was here, clearly one of the best coaches in the country, and, you know, the margin, as soon as he left, it just, it just sort of fell apart. Well, I mean, you can see, I mean, you, 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 LSU's had two coaches. One coach ran an incredibly conservative offense and won, won national championships with it. And then you have a new coach come in with a passing offense, right? So you can run lots of things when you have talent. Uh, the problem is, and this is actually an interesting issue with uh, Mississippi State, is when your head coach is an, ex- a, an expert on one side of the ball, you know, what do you do? You can't fire the coordinator. Mm-hmm. He's the one calling the plays, right? right? And, of course, LSU doesn't have this problem because the head coach, I don't think, is an expert on either side of the ball. Mm-hmm. But uh, at the very least, you have to give Edwards on credit. I mean, he oh, absolutely. You know, he's, he tried an offensive coordinator. It didn't work. Fired him immediately and brought a new guy in, basically, right? Yeah. We, can't, we can't fire our offensive coordinator. That's what I'm saying. You can't because your coach is an expert on one side of the ball, yeah. and he's the offensive coordinator. It's the same, it's the same case when somebody's, you know, a head coach is a defensive coordinator, right? Right. You, you, you just don't have that freedom to rapidly make a change. Mm-hmm. You're the head coach is given a couple of years, and you just have to, you have to ride with it. Uh, and, of course, again, like I said, the margin of error is smaller because you don't have the athletes. And the only way to win when you don't have an advantage with players is to win with scheme. Mm-hmm. And, you know, sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. A good example of where it works is Washington State with Mike Leach. Yeah. You know, Mike Leach gets nobody there. His talent's worse than Mississippi State. But he, he probably, except for, uh, unfortunately, a bad snowstorm last year, he could have won the, Pac, the, the Pac-12. He just lost. Uh, they had a blizzard when he was playing Washington. And he lost that game and didn't make the championship game. So you, you know, Mississippi State's almost going to constantly have to be searching for this scheme guy that can, you know, can somehow make it work. Right, and you and thought you had, had that Dan guy. Mullen, right? You thought you had it with, with Morehead, but they don't. Yeah, you thought you thought you had it with Morehead, but I mean, Dan Mullen worked and Morehead just didn't. Right. And by by any indication, by every indication of when we hired Morehead. All the media was saying this was such a great hire. He's an up and coming. He's one of the top offensive minds in the in the nation. But I mean, I guess if you have Saquon Barkley as your running back, yeah, that's that, when, when you hired him, I, I asked that question: Is he good because he has Saquon Barkley, or is he good because he's good schematically? Mm-hmm. And uh, it's right a fair now, question then, and it's a fair was, question now. It's because he had good players at Penn State. <laughs> Chris, this LSU defense is not what I expect when I watch LSU defense, but they've been effective. Uh, is, is, what's, I guess my question is sort of a big-picture question. Is this LSU defense going to be good enough, not against Mississippi State, but against Alabama, Georgia, possibly Clemson or Oklahoma when that time comes? Is it my turn? Because I was starting to feel like Tulsi Gabbard at the Democratic debate <laughs> last night. You're, you're definitely not as good looking. But okay. so you don't have you don't have the body that she does. But go. He's ahead. wearing a white pantsuit, so he does. That <laughs> makes it work. Uh, so, so the question was about our defense and whether or not we could uh, compete against Bama. I'm glad you switched to LSU and Bama because I was 
starting to feel like I was at a funeral. Um, <laughs> so, so I don't know, Brian. I mean, it's going to be uh, a track meet. Uh, I think Alabama's defense is very good either. Mm-hmm. Um, it's definitely not the Alabama defenses of old. So, um, Florida moved the ball a little too easily for me uh, on our defense, and I was uh, watching the first half again tonight because just to hear. Uh, what the announcers were saying about our defense. Coverage was okay at times, but then again, we're playing a freshman quarterback in Florida and not Tua. We're not playing the same receivers in Florida that we're going to be playing against Alabama. I don't know if we can stop them. But we have to take risks and create turnovers just to win the possession battle and stop. You know, we get two or three stops in a game, that may be enough to beat Alabama. Yeah, but to be fair, I mean, our, our four best pass rushers have been out for most of the season, right? Yeah. So, so this is the first game I think where they're all really are healthy. I think, oh, I think they all show great news. They all oh, played last Marty, week. They, Marty, yeah. this is my question. So let me answer. Okay. <laughs> well, I, have to, I have to answer for you because you're not giving a very good answer. So. <laughs> no, it, it, it's, a, it's a really good answer. We, we have not shown that we, we can stop offenses against good teams. Texas moved the ball on us. Florida moved the ball on us. And they're nowhere near Alabama's offense. It's, it's as plain and simple as that. Yeah. Uh, we had Chase on playing this weekend. He put some pressure on the quarterback. When we started putting pressure is when Aranda started sending more than our, our front four. Mm-hmm. When we're playing just our front four rushing, we struggle. We don't put pressure on the quarterback. Florida scored 21 points the whole first half because we were playing a very base defense with no – blitz packages. We changed it up after Florida went up 28-21 and, and it made a difference. Florida still moved the ball, but they didn't score. And, and it's because we took risk and chances. So I think that's what it's going to take to beat Alabama. John, for you, how much of a pass do you give Bob Shoup this year considering how the defense has looked when he's had all of his players available? You're talking about the drop in talent? Yeah, I mean, when, he, when saying, he had... Are you talking about the... Uh, are you talking about Tudor Gate? Well, that's what. I, yeah, well, I mean, never mind. The, the drop in talent, we, we knew that was coming. But back in, in August, we didn't know that Lee Autry and Willie Gay and Marcus Murphy and those guys were going to be missing all of these games. I mean, when you you know, I thought the defense last week, even though they gave up the touchdown there at the end, they played well enough to win the game. They were just let down by the offense. And I thought the first half against Tennessee, or even the full game, I'm sorry, not Tennessee, Kentucky, they played well enough. You know, they played. They only gave up 13 points, and then they they were good. The but when you know they, those guys aren't out there, then you see what happens against Kansas State and against Auburn. So for me, like, do you, do you give Shoop a pass and say, look, never mind that he lost three first round picks and a bunch of other key starters, then he got hit by this. What could he have done? Uh, I don't give him a, a full pass. I think it gives him a, a a logical reason why there's a decline uh, because of the uh, because of Gay and 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 Autry not being on the field. Yeah, and and the thing is, not only is was Willie Gay talented, he he almost he appears to be the the leader on the defense. Mm-hmm. And if that's the case, then you're losing you know some direction and so forth out there on the field. Um, but I, I think that, I think we're having some underperformance too by the guys that are on the on the field. Our de, our defensive tackles, he, with Altry in there, and all Altry not, they're they're still not stopping the run yeah. that well. And so forth, and and you know we have a, a, we're, we have SEC talent on the defensive line. It's just not what it was last year, right? 
I, I, I never thought, I think going into the Tennessee game, and I don't know what it is afterwards, we were in the, the our, our defense, total defense was ranked in the 70s mm-hmm. after being in the top, I think. Well, number Tennessee's one. Tennessee's top number one. Yeah. Uh, but, but uh, you know, we had in various categories, you know, we weren't necessarily, I don't think we were number one last year, but in total defense, I think we were. Mm-hmm. But, and you scoring. know, to take this, this type of drop, uh, yeah, it's surprising, and it, it does reflect on bio, um, on shoot from the standpoint that you know what he he may may have been living on the talent that was existing yeah. last year. Yeah, no doubt. And expectations were of his prowess as a defense coordinator were were exaggerated. Stephen, if I say states finishes six and six, they they win the Egg Bowl. They're in a bowl game at the end of this. Are you, are you willing to, you know, go into year three with Joe Moorhead and at least say this it's make or break now? Uh, I think he would just get another year. I'm about for you, though. Are you, I mean, are you going to be – I'm okay with that? Uh, long term, I just don't see it working out. Right. Uh, but, you know, my expectations for Mississippi State, and I have not wavered from this, is – Four out of five years go mm-hmm. to a bowl. You have one step up year where you kind of compete mm-hmm. for the West. So right. as long as you go to a bowl, even in this climate of where most a lot of teams go to a bowl, right? Go to a bowl. So yeah. and it's like if he can continue to do that at the end of the day, it's about wins and losses. And so if he can go to a bowl, then yeah, I would be back on board. And he ha- he has met my expectations for Mississippi State as a program. And you always want to keep improving, you know, and that, yeah. that that's. At your pie in the sky to, to you know keep keep improving, but I'm also realistic. And for Mississippi State, I think bold eligibility should be their goal every year. And if we do it out of four out of five years, then I can't complain. For me, as a state fan, right? I mean, and I mean, it's, this is a year that you know I pointed to for a long time. I said, you know, gosh, they're going to lose Simmons and all the core of that defense. They're going to lose Fitzgerald. They'll lose Aris Williams. Yeah, I didn't know that Kyler Hill was going to step up and become what he has. You know, lose Elton Jenkins and, and Cal. These are you know big pieces of last year's team. The problem is more that last year's team didn't step up. That that was the year that yeah, you're talking so about. That's the, that would have been that should have been the high year of the cycle. And, and so, I said this. I thought if Mullen Mullen should have perfect world, Mullen would have stayed last year and then left after the after yes, 2018. Yes, right. He would have been the all-time wins leader at state. He would have had his best team on paper running Nick Fitzgerald in his final year. With Eris Williams possibly being, I mean, Eris Williams came off a thousand yard yeah, season, yeah. and then he he rushes the ball for you know ninety times, maybe seventy times. I don't know how many rushes he had last year. Uh, so it's it's an, well, also Stephen, Stephen last year another another factor last year was was Fitzgerald was coming coming off that injury, and he didn't have a spring, and he barely had training camp. But you saw you know, it. When Nick Fitzgerald, and I don't know, maybe he hit a stride middle of the season, but if we concentrated on Nick Fitzgerald being a running quarterback, he was getting 130, 150 yards. We beat Texas A&M and Auburn at home, and, you know, we, we stepped up against Arkansas. I mean, Arkansas was horrible, but against Arkansas and Ole Miss. More, last year, offensively, when we played teams that were less talented or that we knew we could beat, we demolished them. It was just when we stepped up in competition, that's when we struggled. And but this year's it's well, obviously when we step up in competition we're struggling. Right. But the problem is is that we're losing to the teams that we think we should beat. And this is now the year where 
Moorhead has his quarterback. His system's been in place two years, and the trajectory of the program is now on a downward trend. And I don't know if we're going to recover from it or not. We'll find out, I guess. It's not going to recover this weekend for sure. All right. We're going to go through the SEC slate now, and we're going to do our predictions. We'll predict every game, including the Mississippi State uh, LSU game. So we'll start off. Uh, we'll start off just. We'll go in order of age, and then I'll I'll split it up. Just listen. Please listen for your name. Do not do not go unless I call upon you. Do not speak. Raise your hand. Things like that. You guys are all. You've been to school. Florida at South Carolina. Florida. You know they're coming off of, of a loss. Obviously, South Carolina coming off of a huge win. Feels like a letdown game for South Carolina, even though uh, they, they would probably lose either way. But we'll start with Marty. Give us your prediction for this one. Okay. Well, you know, I mean, South Carolina. You know, they're they beat Georgia last week. They don't have in uh, in general. They don't have enough offense to beat Florida. I mean, basically, their I think their highest point output is about twenty four points, excluding the Charleston Southern game they played earlier in the year. And they really need a low scoring game to win, sort of like the Georgia game. You know, Cal Trask is, is is fantastic. I mean, he's a great passing quarterback. But there's a 70% chance of rain uh, in Columbia, South Carolina tomorrow, uh, and uh, I think uh, there's a good there's a good chance that this might be a little bit of a letdown for Florida after a big game against LSU. And of course, in two weeks they play Georgia. I'm going to predict the upset: South Carolina over Florida. Ooh. Okay. South Carolina's playing at home. Yes. All right. See where that takes us. I like Marty using the uh, the Viper radar there to find out all the weather forecasts. <laughs> yeah, I was checking all the was, SEC games. What the weather is going to be like today? It, it was radar three. Let's be honest. <laughs> he, he's going to take over. The weatherman says he, he, he was going to take over for Woody Asaph back in he the day. He pulled in that Woody Asaph yes. call right there. You go. there. Uh, John. Yeah, I mean, I, I I see where Marty's coming from. I was looking at it, and it looks like the the spread right now is what. Uh, it's favored by five. Wow, it's low. And so forth. And I was shocked, but he says 80% chance of rain. 70%. Marty. So, yeah. The, the over-under is half, so that means the game's probably, they're predicting it in the 20s. So right. if the rain can, can push the score down to below 20, then that's why I think South Carolina has a chance. You know, I got, I think, if you want to say, if at the coaching level, who's the better coach, Dan Mullen? Or uh, oh my gosh, who's got my champ? Sorry, I was just I just pictured his face, you know, turning beet red, <laughs> you know, screaming at somebody. <laughs> uh, but anyways, um, now he's the calmer, mellower version. I, mean, I just think Mullen is going to have the team prepared after losing to LSU, and they'll they'll win. My face is beet red right now too. Are you? I don't even want to know why. No. Okay, Chris. <laughs> Florida's got way too much on the line to lose this game. They control their own destiny. The Georgia loss has catapulted them to be potentially the front runner in the East. It's Florida all the way. They'll win big. Okay. And then, Stephen? I'm with Marty. I actually think Dan Mullen always – I've been waiting for a game like last year where in Kentucky it was just kind of unexplainable that they that, that they lost. This one actually someone has a little bit of explanation. Florida's come off two tough games as far as physicality with Auburn and LSU. Mm-hmm. And the fact they're at home with the rain, I'm going with South Carolina. Wow. All right. I, I tend to agree more with Chris, to be honest with you, that you know, Florida knows, sees what's in front of them now. They do control their own destiny. They just have to win. Uh, they can't afford a letdown. And for me, Mullen can just coach circles around. I mean, Mullen in, in the rain, that, that sort of runs to his strength. He wants to run the football. So 
we'll see what happens there. I'll take the Gators to, to win that Great one. Great pick, Brian. Great pick. Thank you very much. We, we, Thanks, Lee. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Auburn travels to Arkansas. I don't think we'll have a lot of dissension on this one, but uh, John, get us started. Oh, Auburn. Okay. I mean, you have, not you a lot have to discuss say. this. Yeah. No. Uh, Chris, could this be a trap game for Auburn? Uh, probably not. They big game. No. <laughs> we don't know. I mean, Arkansas. Anybody that loses to San Jose State doesn't <laughs> earn the honor of getting my pick. Auburn big. All right. Uh, Steven? Auburn. Very simple. And Marty, assume the same? No, you not so fast. Oh! I'm, I'm thinking about taking Arkansas on this one. Now, I'll tell you why. All right. You know, Auburn, Auburn is, I mean, it, excluding all schools named Mississippi State, Auburn doesn't score that much. <laughs> I mean, if you look at they, they only score 24 points on Tulane. They really don't yeah. score a lot. Yeah. And uh, their pass defenses, I think I just looked it up, it was 79th in the country right now. And Arkansas can actually throw the ball. I mean, they actually should have beaten A&M, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, so I, I, this, this game's up in Fayetteville. Um, I think Auburn could be looking ahead to LSU. Uh, I know the spread is enormous. I think it's 19 and a half. It's a crazy number. But I, I sort of have a, a weird feeling that Arkansas is going to win this thing. I'm going to tell you right now, Marty, if you hit on South Carolina and Arkansas, you're going to have to jump on Twitter and start selling picks. You're going, yeah. have, you're, going have a new, you're going to have a new career in front of you at that point. I, I agonized over this one because, I mean, this the spread is so wide. Yeah. But I just – I mean, I'm just not – I'm not a big believer in Auburn. Are you picking Auburn, the spread? No. Huh? No, he, I'm he, sorry. You're picking Arkansas world, to win, right? I, I'm projecting I'm, – I'm, I'm picking Arkansas to win this thing, John. Wow. It, it is Marty DeBear Palika here. But again, this one, I, I, I – you know, I had to talk myself into picking Arkansas. I, I mean, Auburn, every, every – Every logical thing would say Auburn should win this game, but okay. I just sort of think you know they're going to be looking at LSU. They're not that good against the pass. They're playing on the road against Arkansas. You know, Arkansas. If you look at all their games, you know, no one's really blown them out. Mm-hmm. They basically have been in every almost every game they've lost. Mm-hmm. You know, and so the, maybe maybe they put it together this game, right? All right, all right we'll see what happens. Uh, Missouri travels to Nashville to take on Vanderbilt, who I think. Even with State and Tennessee struggles, Vanderbilt is easily the worst team in the conference. Chris, who you got? Mississippi State fans, when you think you're feeling bad, always look at Vanderbilt. Yeah, appreciate that. Uh, I tell you, Missouri. Missouri. Uh, I've watched. A, I haven't watched a whole game of Missouri, but they're an interesting team, and you know, not a lot of people talk about them winning the East, but they're a little bit of a sleeper. I, I don't know if y'all feel the same way. Um, Kelly Bryant is quarterback. He's he's as good of a quarterback as anybody in the East. Um, I mean, Missouri's obviously going to win this game, but I'm, I'm curious if y'all think Missouri could win the East. Well, they can't, technically can't win the East because they have a postseason ban. Well, the, the, they can finish they're, first in the East, though. Yes, they're appealing that that, that yeah, that, uh, and they get Florida at home. And I, where do they get Georgia? Do you know? I don't know. They get Georgia Saturday, November 9th. Where at Georgia? At Georgia, sorry. So that's that's the game because they beat Florida badly last year, so they could do it again. But that's, that's interesting. Missouri is definitely yeah. day. Though. Yeah, Stephen, I assume you'll go with the Tigers. Yeah, right. I was actually I, was, I watched Missouri against Ole Miss because I wanted Ole Miss to have to be miserable like we were. Yes, and uh, Missouri was really impressive. They're, yeah. they're a good team, solid defense is salty. Yeah. I was really impressed with their defense. Yeah. Uh, uh, they'll win easily, and like Chris said, I think they have a decent shot of winning the East. Yeah, I don't disagree. 
Uh, Marty, if you pick Vanderbilt, I, I'm going to be really surprised. <laughs> yeah, even I'm not that crazy. All right. <laughs> Missouri yeah, it is. Missouri, Missouri, Missouri wins. They'll probably even cover the spread. Uh, Ke- Kelly Bryant's really made a difference there. Yeah, it's good. amazing. He was, he, you know, <laughs> Clemson had two fantastic quarterbacks just sitting on their roster. But. Must be nice. Uh, and then uh, John Peter. Missouri. Did we lose him? Uh-oh. Did we lose John? Yeah, he, he got, got on mute. Him. All right, hold on. So he's on mute. He's on oh, mute. I'm here. There he is. Sorry. He was on mute. John, Sorry. come on. I was on mute. All right, hold on. Pause. Well, pause. Hold on, John. Pause for like five seconds and then give your pick, okay? Okay. Okay. I think Missouri's going to win. Okay. Easy enough. Uh, Kentucky travels to what should be a really angry uh, Georgia team on Saturday night uh, between the hedges. Kentucky, they're not good either. The bottom half, the bottom of the SEC is really, really bad, and Kentucky is definitely a, a part of that. Georgia, I, I don't think you can look at Georgia and say that you think they're going to end up, even if they, they win the East, I don't think they're going to win their, their playoff team with one loss, uh, especially I think they'll, they'll lose to whoever the West sends there. Um I'm going to go with uh, with Georgia to easily win this one. Uh, Steven, we'll go backwards here. Where, where, who you got? Georgia easily. I just I think they will cover yeah. from this past weekend. It seemed like from – I was flipping back and forth between our game and the uh, Georgia game. And Georgia's a completely disinterested play in South Carolina. And I just <laughs> – they'll focus more and just beat Kentucky by about 25, 30 points. Uh, Chris. Now, Brian, I just want to say – you really are making good picks tonight. I don't know where you're getting your data from, but I'm really impressed. Uh, Georgia will uh, roll Kentucky. That that I don't know who the worst team in the SEC is right now. It's I, don't it's, it, I think Vanderbilt's the worst, but second worst there's a good battle for. Uh, John? Yeah, Georgia. I mean, after, I would not want to play – I would not want to be Kentucky – after yeah. Georgia losing to Carolina. It's just going to be it's going it's going to be one of those games. And Marty, what's the weather going to be like? <laughs> I didn't have to check the weather for this one. But. Well, you're, that's disappointing. Yeah, I didn't, but, I didn't uh, bother. I already had it my doesn't really make a difference. It doesn't make a difference. Yeah. Because because they got to make a statement win. Yeah. I and agree so they're just going to pile on. I agree with that. Uh, yeah. Marty, Georgia. Well, yeah, I mean the other thing Kentucky just isn't a good road team. I mean if you no, look no, at no. their at, with this year they they lost to Starkville, they lost to South Carolina twenty four seven. But you know they 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 beat they they were beating Florida twenty one to ten mm-hmm. in the fourth quarter I think at home and of course Florida scored nineteen unanswered points. So, uh, but I mean they just they just they just they're not a good road team certainly, and they're probably not a great team overall. So yeah, Georgia. All right, uh, we're gonna skip. We're gonna get out of this a little bit chronologically here because I want the the most interesting game to me is is in the middle here. But uh, we'll start with Alabama Tennessee. Not a whole lot of interest in this one. I'll be interested to see if Tennessee uh, decides to do that thing where they onside kick and never punt. But if they don't do that, I don't. I don't think this, they have any kind of. Sh- I don't think they have a shot. Regardless, uh, Marty, I assume you'll you'll say roll tide on this one. Yeah, it's impossible for Tennessee to win. Impossible. I think even, even if Tua got hurt, I don't think it would matter. No, probably <laughs> Just, not. John. Oh, I mean, Alabama's going to win. But do you think Saban? Since that's a former assistant, he's going to kind of take it easy. Could be somewhat. I mean, no. What, you know, what is it? No Saban assistant has ever beaten him. That's correct. Yeah, yeah that's, that's correct. A, that's an interesting stat, Chris. No, come on. The, the fact that the audio keeps going in and out just we, Make, we could get it past the first. You, you know, uh, I mean, 
Tennessee is coming off a huge win. Oh, my God. Huge win. <laughs> this is probably going to be a letdown for Tennessee. <laughs> I doubt it will be closer than the experts think. 36 points is the spread, I believe, on this yeah, game. Yeah, something like that. Holy crap. Is it, I mean, well, I hate that this is the uh, East-West matchup every year. I hate it. Yeah. Alabama's schedule is driving me nuts. But Alabama rolls. I think that's going to change soon. I, I do think that. Steven, I assume you'll go with the Tide. Yeah. I mean, Tennessee, like Chris said, coming off that big win, they uh, but Alabama win by 30-plus <laughs> easily. All right. Texas A&M goes to Ole Miss. Ole Miss wants to go win a bowl game, go to a bowl game. This is a game they absolutely 100% have to have. Uh, Texas A&M, 3-3. Three and three. That $75 million is depreciating nicely. <laughs> I just don't know. Uh I went back and forth on this on, on, on Thunder and Lightning. I ended up going with the Aggies, but I will not be surprised if the Rebels find a way. Uh, but that said, I'll pick the Texas A&M. Let's start with uh, let's start with Chris. He lives in Texas. Give it to, and he lives with an Aggie. What do you got? This is my upset special. Ooh. I think Ole Miss is starting to find their way a little bit. They're, 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 yeah, Missouri, I think, was a good team. I think Missouri's better than A&M. I'm also doing this for my godchild. And my brother's daughter, John, John Peter, who let their let his daughter go to Ole Miss. Oh. Ole Miss upsets A and M at Oxford by a touchdown, and the Jimbo Fisher hot seat talk begins. I like the it. overpaid, most overpaid coach in college football. All right, what do you got, uh, John? Then I just can't choose Ole Miss. <laughs> Be even with my daughter, wayward daughter, choosing to go there, <laughs> it just cannot. It just cannot happen. Would I be surprised that they win? No, I I wouldn't. Uh, but I think I think we're putting too much stock in just the uh, spark that Plumley has added to the offense at Ole Miss. I mean, he's he's dynamic. He's fast. He runs. You know, but and they got speed in the backfield with um, Ely and uh, and him. But I just I just think Jimbo Jimbo is going to pull this one out for me. So yeah, I think I picked them to win and to I think the, what's the spread six and a half seven I can't I'm six and a half five and a half I can't see I think six and a half yeah six and uh, a half. I think they're going I think they're actually going to cover. All right, and then. Uh... Marty, you're the only one left here, yeah. Yeah, I'm going with Ole Miss. Ooh. It's a home game. I think it's a night game. Uh, you know, a and I mean, they barely beat Arkansas. Ole Miss beat Arkansas, I think, 31-17. So it's not like A&M is, you know, noticeably better. Um, I, I just don't see why and why you would choose A&M. Their defense, A&M's defense is not that good. Arkansas threw for about 300 yards on them. You know, I, I think Ole Miss is going to win this. And it may be, may be easier than most people think. Yeah. We'll see what happens. I, I actually oh, I, didn't, I didn't get my pick in on this one. Oh, go ahead, Stephen. I'm I, sorry. The fact that Ole Miss is still sticking with the two quarterback system, uh, just I don't get it. It's, Plum, Plum, it's interesting you say that too. Go ahead though. I just I, I just think Plumley just brings up not Corral's not that great of a passer. I don't right. know why they think he's that much better than Plumley. And then you get the other element of what Plumley brings to the game as far as his running ability. Yeah. Uh, he's so smooth on his cuts. Yeah. Great when athlete. Plumley runs, yeah. it's just an athlete that when he runs with the football, and he's so fast, 
the fact that they're going to stick with the two quarterback system makes me believe that they'll lose this game. And I, I think at the, from this point on, they'll maybe go with one quarterback. But yeah. some I was listening to another a radio show this morning. He brought up the point that they just might be uh, trying to appease Corral yeah, because who's going to be their who's going to be their spring quarterback if Plumlee's playing baseball? That's a good point. It's funny you, you mentioned that though because I said the same thing on on Sports Talk Mississippi. I said I would just hand it over to Plumlee, and then today on the show we had Ryan Brown on from uh, from Jocks over there in Birmingham, and he said the same thing. He said people watching this wonder why they don't just go to Plumlee. But when you talk to Rippy, he he says what you said. They just don't feel like he can do enough in the passing game. But I agree with you that it's not the corral is. You know Chad Kelly out there for them, or, or Eli Manning. He's not this hyper accurate accurate passer. So I would go with Plumlee if I were the Rebels, and especially against A and M, who you know still is not the most physical football team. Uh, yeah, but they're soft. And you know the funny thing is, is when you said uh, two quarterbacks, and it's obvious that Plumlee should start. Mm-hmm. It's the same situation that Mississippi State has been exactly in the same. for the past three games. Yeah, when it it's is. obvious who should be the starter with the offense, it's just. So much more functional and it's more fluid when that yeah. quarterback is in the game. Yeah, uh, it, it's. Uh, I'm shocked, not shocked because I think Luke's a World War coach too, but I just I can't believe he hadn't seen the lightning. So let's just roll with Plumley. Yeah. All right, time to bring on the pain here. Mississippi State versus the number two ranked LSU Tigers. Interesting stat I saw on Twitter today that is absolutely meaningless. State four and one in the last uh, five home games against ranked teams. That stat is sort of. Demo- <laughs> I know, right? That changes, that changes my prediction entirely now. I know. It's, what's, what's funny about that stat? I got to rework this. State's lost the last three home games, or has lost three home games in that span to unranked teams. So, never know how it's going to go. Uh, and, and of course, LSU is one of those wins in 2017. Um, Marty, I, I'm interested to hear your pick because a, it's always the most uh, comical, but b, I want to know if I'm going to predict a bigger margin than you. Go ahead. This will be interesting. I mean, I mean, I mean, honestly, barring bad weather or Joe Burrow getting knocked out of the game, I think LSU easily covers this 18-and-a-half point yeah. spread. I just can't believe it. It'll be any closer to that. Um, I, I don't think it... I actually don't think it'll get into the 50s, because uh, I, I just think Moorhead will try to slow down the game, and I, I think Ed Orgeron might be nice and not run up the score here. Um, you know, and this 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 might be a game... I think this will be a game where uh, Mississippi State will actually hold LSU under their scoring average. LSU's number one in the country in scoring offense. It's, it's the highlight of my week when I come into work every morning to pull up the NCAA stats and see LSU actually at number one in the country in scoring offense. It's amazing. But I, what I, what I, think, the, I think what's going to happen is that LSU will start fast. Um, they'll probably uh, end up putting their... Second stringers in, and they'll, the score won't get up too far, too badly, too bad. But it'll be uh, final score will be LSU forty-eight, MSU thirteen. Okay, uh, John. If Moorhead is smart, he will tell the grounds crew to run the sprinkler starting now <laughs> until Saturday at two o'clock. Just slop it up. So that slop that field up and just slow it down any way you possibly can. Mm-hmm. But even with that. After that debacle last week, I, I have I, the, the, the coaching staff, the team's got to do something to give me a, a, a glimmer of hope about the rest of the season. If they can keep this somewhat competitive through a portion of this game, and I don't mean the first three minutes, which sometimes it gets away from us, as it did against Auburn about that amount of time, 
I would I would feel better about the possibility of getting six and six. Mm-hmm. But this ends up being just we get motorboat through the and and, and, and like like Marty score forty two to three or whatever he normally chooses. It, we're done. We're toast. So try not to be a homer, and I am not foolish in saying Mississippi State's going to win, but hoping that the score's a little bit closer. I say LSU thirty four, Mississippi State seventeen. Okay. Uh, well, I just want to say I'm all for this motorboating. I know. Are they built for speed or for comfort? What's going on? <laughs> <laughs> well, you old sailor, you. Uh, yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, I'm sure some more music's about to happen. Please don't play Rocky Top again, Chris. What do you got? Oh, okay. I can live with that. It's the College Football Fix brought to you by your North Mississippi Fortios. I've always wanted to say that. You know, you too can go to a college and lose to Tennessee and play on the SEC game of the week the following week. Incredible. <laughs> it happens. So we have a uh, guest picker tonight. Oh, uh, family! We we uh, have the next generation of the LSU uh, faithful, Aiden Augustinelli, my son, who wants to do the pick for me tonight for LSU Mississippi State. Go Absolutely, ahead, Aiden. but Aiden, I'm going to tell you, go after in-state tuition. Be an Aggie like your mom. Don't don't follow the same path as your father. Why? Well, because look at him for God's sakes. That's life lessons. Well, LSU is going to kill them. They're just too good. Uh, their offense is way too strong. Uh, <laughs> their defense is too What's your score? It might, oh, uh, it might be close in the first quarter, though, but then LSU is going to break loose and win big. Uh, 56-14. Wow. So- All right. No Thank you. Aiden does have a good point. The game does start off 0-0, so it might be close in the first quarter. For a <laughs> At least the first 30 seconds of the game should be close. Uh, John. So Aiden, Steven, Aiden, Steven. Gets a, Aiden gets a Mississippi State sweatshirt for Christmas. Yeah, so we're going to make that happen. Yeah, we can, like when we got Houston Texans sweatshirt at one time. For yeah. no reason. <laughs> <laughs> I still have mine. <laughs> hey everybody, we got or that Christmas sweatshirt you wanted during the uh, dirty season. That's right. That's yeah. right. God's gift to women. Steven, what do you got? This is the uh, this is an opportunity. Oh. The fact we play at two thirty, mm-hmm. we're at home mm-hmm. playing a top five program. Mm-hmm. We got our backs against the wall. This is it. This is our opportunity. Okay. But like the LSU student section scene, they do neck. <laughs> no, we're just gonna get our ass whipped. It's gonna be. I'm I'm with Aiden on the score. I think it'll be in the fifties. So I'll go 52-17. So, Marty, I got you beat. I don't believe it. State is not any good. They cannot. Uh, Bo Nix, who is not a good passer, threw for 350 yards against this team. I don't see anything positive coming out of this. I think State gets embarrassed on its own home field. I've got it 52-10. to 10. Wow. Uh, Alexa. Can you uh, put positive attitude on the shopping list for Brian? <laughs> they don't ship that to Mississippi. I already explained that to you. It's like wine. You can't get it shipped to this state. So. All right. Well, that's all for us. But as you know, if you're a loyal listener, and if you've been doing this with us for a few years, the show is not over. Let us transition now to the people's segment. 
We will talk to the SEC Network's Peter Burns to get his thoughts on the game and, of course, his thoughts on Chris. Tell, tell Peter I miss him. We'll pass that along. <laughs> All right, before we get into the people's segment, let's give a shout-out to our newest sponsor, College Corner. Check out one of their two locations down in the Jackson area. You need to go to the Ridgeland, Ridgeland location over by Fleet Feet or to Flowood over by Half Shell, and you'll find the largest selection of MSU merchandise in central Mississippi. Don't waste your time going to start, coming to Starkville and having to stand in line at, at one of the shops up here. Be dressed for success when you get in the car. And when you go to the, either one of those two locations and mention the Thunder and Lightning podcast, or when you shop online at collegecornerstore.com, you can get 15% off your order. All you got to do is put the coupon code THUNDER in online or just mention the podcast when you're there in person. So go to College Corner at either one of their two locations or shop online at collegecornerstore.com and get the best selection of MSU merchandise you can find. Our second LSU Week tradition, as always, we welcome into the People's segment Peter Burns from the SEC Network. Of course, he's also, you know, he keeps us on the down low. Not really. He is an LSU guy himself, so I know. I can't wait to get your thoughts on this <laughs> LSU team, but we're going to start with Mississippi State. Joe Moorhead has become this, this sort of devices figure down here in Starkville. And, you know, obviously the performance on the field the past few few weeks has not been what you would expect. Just going back to when he was hired, I, I think you were one of the people, as was I, as was everybody else, saying, hey, this was a, a perfect fit for what they want to do down there. Are you, are you surprised that Joe Morehead has not been more successful from the jump here in Starkville? Um, not not necessarily. I mean, again, we don't like to see it. I mean, just as, you know, I, I got something near and dear in my heart to, to, to Starkville and Mississippi State. I've always kind of kind of been back them, even though I'm an LSU guy myself. Um, but, I mean, I, again, I think when you lose that much talent, any team is going to struggle, right? I mean, unless you're Alabama and you just put five stars out on top of five stars, you lose – uh, a ton of talent. You're going to have some issues, especially on the defensive front. But I, I think what I've been puzzled with is the fact of, you know, last year the, the offense sputtered a little bit and it felt like he kind of made fits, you know, tried to make him into Trace McSorley, but just tried to do different things with him and it just really didn't work. And then, of course, this year he brings Tommy Stevens in and, and I felt like that was a little bit of a, you know, a comfort level for, for Joe. But the more we see it, the more it feels like Garrett Schrader is the guy. So it's 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 a tough spot. And I'll tell you this, guys, and I don't know how you feel, but from the outside looking in, I've seen coaches that flat out just don't get it and don't care and take over programs. And you're like, eh, all right, it's about time. It, it, you know, I already know this is not going to work out. I, I I get the point that it like eats at Joe Moorhead at night that that he can't deliver what he wants to do down there in Starkville. So. Um, again, that doesn't make anybody feel better about the losses, but I, 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 it's not like a situation where it's lost and out of control, you know? Well, lately in the past couple of weeks, there's been some rumors about Joe Moorhead and a possible connection with Rutgers opening. What do you make of it? No, I mean, listen, he knows. I mean, he knows that this is where he wants to be. I mean, I, I don't know inside knowledge on that, but and I don't think Joe would be that quick to say, hey, you know what, this isn't for me. You know, if I felt like that was the case, you know, I, I felt like from day one that he got there, he wanted to ingrain himself into this program, into the world down there, into the people, and and I I would be extremely disappointed if all of a sudden, hey, he was he was no longer the coach down there at Starkville, you know, and not giving it a full go. So, um, you know, I I I would be shocked if if that's uh, if he decides to pull up and 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 go elsewhere this soon. 
Long term, do you think that Moorhead can build upon what Dan Mullen left? It, I mean, here's the deal. It's tough, right? I mean, I think that's part of the issue that Joe, you know, it's it, it's tough because now, you know, you, you, it's like you used to date the homecoming queen and now she's out being Miss America over there with how good Mullen's looking at Florida. And you're like, man, you know what? That used to be my girl. And, you know, now, now things are a little bit different. And so, I mean, that's a tough situation. Uh, to have to replace Dan, who, who really put Mississippi State football on the map, and um, and so yeah, I, I I think it's I think it's a tough spot for him right now. Uh, but long term, he has to find a way. There has to be an identity for this team, right? Like the identity for Dan was that hey, they were going to have a mobile quarterback, and that they were going to have two three star kids, and they were going to play like four or five star kids. And Moorhead has to find out what his own you know, you know, own type of footprints and own type of fingerprints on this program. And frankly, I don't know what that is quite yet. And I don't think he quite knows it, guys. I mean, I don't know. He knows what this team needs to be um, going forward. I mean, listen, if you guys are the big state fans here, and if I told you what what do you want the ID, what do you want the mantra of this team to be, and what is Joe Moorhead football known for, what do you want it to be with State and him? I think I'll go ahead. Go I, mean, ahead Brian. I think if you're going to ask the average MSU fan that the, the identity they had under Mullen was they were a very physical team, both sides of the ball. You know, when you played Mississippi sure. State, they didn't back down from anybody. Now, they, they, they were there were games that got run off the field because of the talent differential, but you never felt like they, there was any quit in them. And, and right now, when you watch this team, and you know I cover them, so I've been to every game. They just look soft sometimes. They, they they don't they don't look like they have that same fire that they used to have. That they weren't going to back down from anybody. They were just going to you know run the football and play tough nosed defense. I don't get that anymore. Now I knew defensively well, they were going to take a step back, but they've just been so weak defensively and then offensively. It's it's just not the same. It just isn't. That, that's no. It, go ahead, Peter. Go 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 ahead. Yep. I said that's my biggest thing is we offensively. Anytime we play a defense with a pulse. We're just not scoring. I mean, you can't. Mm-hmm. You have no chance when we play a team that's halfway yeah. has a de- defensive identity. And that's and, and that's something that you know when you hire a he coach was like Moorhead. Yeah, right. He yeah. was hired as this offensive guru, and offensively, mm-hmm. it's just it's just not working for Mississippi State yet. Yeah, I mean, so the question is: Is it does it not work with this personnel, or did it work in the Big Ten? But when you start playing teams in the in the SEC, it's a little bit of a different fit. Um, I, I, I will tell you this. I think it's really difficult because I see that's going on in Tennessee right now. Uh, I've seen it with Chad Morris. I've seen it with teams that have taken over, you know, for new coaches or, or, or new coaches taking over for teams is that a lot of times it's hard. You know, it, it, it takes something. And that's a credit to what Dan's doing at, at, at Florida right now. But it, it takes a hell of a, a coach to say, hey, I need you to come play hard for me right now. I know I didn't recruit you. I know you didn't sign to play football with me, but I'm the guy for you now. It's hard to motivate those kids. I mean, hell, look at what Jimbo Fisher's having to deal with at College Station right now. I mean, he's uh, playing a lot of young guys and a lot of those guys, you know, that maybe did commit um, uh, to Kevin Sumlin back in the day, but they wanted to stay with the Aggies, and even that team is struggling. So, again, I, I, I go back and look at what happened with Barry Odom a couple of, what, I think it was a year and a half ago. He was one in five. And everyone's ready to write him off. Oh, he's got a million-dollar buyout. He's done. Who's the next coach? And Barry Odom took to a post-game press conference, and he just let it fly, man. He said it was unacceptable. It was on his ass, and that he was going to fix it. And I think he might have the second or third-best record 
since starting that one and five, you know, two years ago um, with with Missouri football. So the question is, you know, I know Moorhead wants it, but how is he going to get those guys, you know, uh, playing physical and you show that guru type thing that he was doing over at Penn State? And frankly, the answers haven't been easy, and I don't think it gets easier with LSU coming into town this weekend. And here's the biggest problem I think Morehead had is he walked into a situation at Mississippi State for the first time in the history of Mississippi State football. A first-year head coach had unbelievable expectations. Talent, yeah. I mean, and so, so last a ton year, of NFL talent. Right. Yeah, people are walk. People go into last year. I mean, fans are expecting nine, ten wins, and right. you were like, I mean, we could. This could be the year. And now we bring in this mm-hmm. offensive guru who's going to take our offense to the next level where we can compete possibly with the Alabamas, with the LSUs. And mm-hmm. we should we should keep the same level of beating the teams we should. And his offense has just not clicked. And we actually – you could see the trajectory of the program starting to go down last year because any time we played a defense with the pulse, the offense right. struggled. And you just – you were hoping this year with him bringing in his quarterback another year – that the offense would be stronger, and it just has not happened. Yeah, I mean, and, and what it sucks is it sucks for guys like Kylan Hill, who are incredibly talented or as good as anyone, but then all of a sudden, if you don't fear the passing game, everyone's going to put eight in the box, and then you're going to see what happens like with Tennessee last week, which is that they don't really, they don't really respect um, you know, Schrader or, or Stevens at 100% um, to be a, 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 a huge passer so they can stuff the box, and Poor Kylan doesn't get an opportunity, and then that that adds even tougher because the next time that Joe's trying to recruit some kid, the kid saw 2010 Tennessee, you know, or you know he saw a game. I mean, it's a whole lot easier right now for Ed Ogeron to get these star recruits, especially offensively, because they're playing so well on offense. It's tough when when there's a struggle right now. But again, I, I still think it's way too early because I I think a lot of people wrote off guys like Barry Odom and other teams and gave them an opportunity, but you got to have some wins, right? And, and I mean, I don't know. Or even if you don't have a win like this weekend, you damn sure need to show that you're tough and this team's not necessarily quitting on you and they're all in on it. I'll say one last thing, then we'll move on to, to this weekend's game. But I don't know if you knew this or not, but Moorhead actually had the local media come in for a, a clinic this summer where he sat mm. down with us and we talked about his offense in great detail. Yeah. So we talked for an hour, hour and 15 minutes about – Two plays, and he's, he's going through everything, and he's putting it on on film, and I'm looking at it, and I'm not the smartest guy in the world, and, and I didn't play in a, I didn't play college football, and I didn't really play, I mean, high school football, I played a really really simple offense, so I understood that I wasn't going to understand everything, but I was overwhelmed by how much information mm. there's just on a running play, and all I could think right. was, this is this a quarterback has maybe two seconds with four five-star defensive linemen bearing down on him to make all these mm-hmm. decisions. And all I could think was it takes it must take a very special quarterback. And I think Trace McSorley was that. And obviously Saquon Barkley, having having a player like that helps you. So what you said about Big Ten to SEC might be something that, that bears watching, which is why the Rutgers thing, I agree with you. I don't think it's going to happen. But 
mm-hmm. maybe that's maybe that, that that offense is there are just some offenses that are better suited to different places in the world. I think like yeah, and and and, and the personnel though, guys too. Yeah. You know, it, it, it's like Chad Morris has been having a hard time as hell because he's trying to get rid of Brett Bielema's guys because they run a completely different type of personnel grouping. Um, and again, I, I go back and look at Gary Schrader, which. Listen, I don't. I don't necessarily know if Garrett's going to, you know, win a Nobel, um, you know, prize for science or anytime soon. You know, I don't. I'm not saying he's a Mensa kid or anything like that. And if this is a tough offense to grasp, that's why I think that he wanted Tommy Stevens to be there because, hey, Tommy had least seen this. He's been, you know, if it's a complicated offense, he knows, hey, a little bit. It's a safer route to go to, and I think. Last year, I think at some point he found, you know, a couple of three three or four weeks where he's like, okay, you know what, I need to stop trying to make Fitzgerald somebody that he's not. Let's simplify this. And ultimately, that's what it comes down to. Like, simplify it, have fun, play physical football, and good things will happen. I mean, more people are going to like Moorhead. They spent some time with him. It's hard not to, you know, come around liking the guy. He's very personable. But you got to make it simple for these guys to just get these athletes in space and make make plays. Now, I think his his offense to me is a classic case of paralysis by analysis, but in a three second time frame yeah, because true. of so many decisions you have to make. If, that when SEC Network last year did the SEC film study after the Lotsec game, yeah. it was kind of the same thing that Brian I think what he offered the media this summer. But I was just completely shocked with and like I said, I'm like Brian said, we're no obviously no college football gurus as far as building offenses, but the number of decisions that the quarterback has to make off of an RPO mm-hmm. in the... It, it was amazing to me. I was like, this is just way too complicated versus uh, what Dan Mullen run, ran in the, in the spread. I mean, the uh, Brian, help me with... What the zone read. <laughs> the zone read, thank you. You're reading a defensive right. end, and that's all you're doing. And it, mm-hmm. it, you have a design run, and that's what we're doing, or you're coming out and you're running a pass play, but you, you, well, you're running then, out of a zone read. And the RPOs, you got four different options you can do on every play. But so, so that's on Joe to to survive and adapt, right? I mean, that, that's any any coach. And I mean, I think that's what Mullen has done pretty good uh, is looking at what he has roster wise and goes, okay, this is how we're going to attack people. And again, I think that's just. That's on Moorhead to go, I'm no longer this coach, no longer this OC. I don't have this type player. If I want to change, I need to adapt as well. I mean, guys, look at LSU right now, the team. I mean, let's spin this forward to this week, right? I mean, it's all about, you know, Steve Ensminger and and Ed Oseron. Hell, they were playing the same offense. Then all of a sudden they're like, this ain't working. You know, this is no different than less. We need to bring in a Joe Brady. We need to bring in somebody that's going to really kind of you know, implement the changes that we want and complement the offense. So it's all, you know, it's almost a situation where Joe probably this off season needs to take a look and go, all right, well, where's the next Joe Brady coming from? Who's the next person that I can and match what I like to do and what's going on in college football right now? And how will, how do we mesh these together? And so it fits what Garrett Schrader, the future of this program can do. And I, I think that'd be the first thing I would do is, Go back and look at anybody and say, this is what Garrett Schrader does. These are his pros. These are his cons. How, how can you work with this kid and, and get some help going into the, 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 you know, his sophomore year? 
you segued into that very nicely. It's almost like you have experience with broadcasting. I, I don't know. Ah, oh, you know, I fake it. I fake it. <laughs> but with, with Orgeron in this offense, I think you were probably just like me in the offseason. When you hear LSU is going to spread around, okay, sure, sure, we'll see what happens. But then they do it. What what was the light bulb moment for Ed Orgeron? When did he realize? Because, you know, I go back to his opening press conference, and he said, hey, I believe we've got to spread the ball around. And then in his first couple of years, they really didn't do that. What made this offseason what, – what made the light bulb come on for him? Well, I mean, the light bulb came on whenever he was going to get hired. I mean, the hiring deal was that he was probably – he was more than likely going to bring in Lane Kiffin yeah. as his offensive coordinator. And I think that was the game plan. I mean, that's what people – it's kind of crazy is that this is – this is Ogeron wanted to do this from the jump. When he first took over, the kind of – felt like it was going to be a package deal, that it was going to be Ogeron and Lane Kiffin – and Kiffin was going to leave Alabama. The problem is that Kiffin wanted to take a head coaching gig, and so he took the FAU job, and that set back LSU. So then they ended up going with um, Matt Canada, which was like oil and water. Then last year they're like, all right, well, let's get Canada out. Let's just have Steve Inzbinger come back here and do normal things. And Inzbinger was okay but not great. And so it took this year to say, all right, you know, can we all work together? And I saw it work beautifully about Joe Brady. He said, why the hell are y'all running this? Let's do this. You know, I mean, Brady came in and, and worked with Ogeron and gave him a clinic one day with the Saints. And, and basically they turned around and go, uh, can you come work for us? You know, and it's made all the difference in the world. And by the way, now Joe Brady's going to probably make about a million dollars next year. So uh, he'll be well compensated for what he's doing. Um, but, yeah, I, 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 it wasn't that. O didn't want to change. He always wanted to change. It's just when Lane Kevin decided to go to FAU, I think that just kind of changed the, you know, uh, the, how the formula of how this thing finally came out, or time schedule, I should say. Do you think that uh, this year's LSU team is a national championship team? Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I, there's, you know, obviously we'll know probably November the 9th um, when they face Alabama, but I think they're as talented as anybody, and I think they have this attitude. I go back and look at the teams that won it all in 03 and 07, and they all had a distinct attitude. You know, even though LSU's had some good teams in the past, they never really had kind of this this moxie about them. That 03 team did. The 07 team sure as hell did. And, I, you know, I feel like actually the talent on 2011 LSU team was better than this team, but the attitude starting with, Ogeron and Joe Brady and and Joe Burrow, of course, at the quarterback. I think there's just a certain deal to it that's that's nuts right now, man. And LSU fans are uh, it, it's just weird. Every single morning they wake up and they kind of pinch themselves, going, "Did that just really happen? Do we still do we have a Heisman Trophy candidate quarterback? What the hell is this? Like that's nuts for us." Yeah, I, was, I wanted to ask you, but are you a Heisman voter? I don't know if you are or not. I am not. No, they should not, and I don't want one. You know, is, well, if you had much, one, uh, I would, if they yeah. made the mistake of giving you one, is Burrow number one on your ballot right now? Uh, no, Tua would still be. Okay. Um, I'd, st- I'd still have Tua in there. Just the numbers are out of control with yeah. Tua. And, and I think there's so much love for, for, for Burrow right now, and rightfully so, because, A, some of the, well, the wins have been better. But also because we've, you know, it's been the Saharian desert for the longest time of LSU football, and finally, a quarterback looks good. So I think there's a little extra love. But you still, you look at the numbers too us putting up; it's just, it's just crazy right now. So, um, but again, I, 
it's so early because Jalen Hurts still putting up decent numbers. Justin Fields has been a monster, and Jonathan Taylor. I mean, I think it's a, a five-way Heisman ballot right now. Um, but I, I think it's one, two, Joe Burrow and, and Tua Tagovailoa, which sets up that huge game in Tuscaloosa here in a couple of weeks. Well, I wouldn't describe Saturday as a huge game, but it, it is an interesting one just from terms of this. But the message I've sort of given on the podcast and on the radio show this week is Georgia-South Carolina proves that it's never 0%. There's always a, a chance that something could happen. Sure. So to maximize State's chance, what would you have Mississippi State do? If you could only tell them to do one thing, do this to, to maximize your chance at winning, what would it be? Uh, I mean, honestly, as stupid as this sounds, is stop the run. Mm-hmm. And I know that sounds dumb because LSU is just passing it on with with everyone right now. But I can't tell you, and, and I, t- I talked to some people close to the LSU program, they didn't know, you know, they were worried about Florida to a certain extent because they knew that was a, a, a pretty solid team. But it wasn't until they started running the ball with a lot of success that they, they knew they were unstoppable in the second half. Once Clyde Edwards-Hilaire started breaking some runs, they're like, it's over. It's a, it's a done deal. And that's when, if you notice in the second half, Dave Aranda started bringing the blitz because they knew offensively they weren't going to be stopped, that Florida didn't have a way to stop the run, and worst-case scenario, breaking case of emergency, they could run the rock on them. So, you know, to me, you got to make them one, one-dimensional. And if you're going to make them one-dimensional, oddly enough, you got to just stop the run and say, hey, if Burrow beats you, dude, they're just a better team. You know, I, I just, you can't beat yourself. And I think that's, in a weird way, the one thing that Mississippi State needs to do this week is, is to be able to stop the run. It's funny you say that because I interviewed one of the LSU beat writers, Brooks Cabina from The Advocate, and he said the exact same thing. So, <laughs> hey, and Brooks follows it even closer than I do. Yeah. So, man, but, I, 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 next time I'm going to steal all of Brooks' stuff. Make there you sure go. I, uh, it, it works out good. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Well, Peter, as always, man, we appreciate your time on, on this time of year. We're not going to bring anything else up. We're not going to make you have any, you know, where, sour thoughts. Where, where is that? Where is that sob at? Where is that sob? <laughs> He's tucked away in Houston, Texas. Let's just leave him there. Well, I was making sure. All right, because all right. I don't want him any. You know that if he comes on this podcast, I tell you, I'll never do it again. So, well, yeah, he wanted. He said, "Hey, can I be on with Peter?" And I, what I, I explained to him, and I very gently told him, absolutely not under any circumstances. So I'll hang up this phone right now. I know. So no, he's, <laughs> he's not coming. You don't have to worry about that. Peter Burns from the SEC Network, man. I, I love having you on. We'll talk to you again very soon, hopefully. Hey, boys. Uh, again, I, there's something near and dear to my heart down the start. Well, so, uh, you know, from Mangum to what Vic Schaefer has built to 612 to, you know, Restaurant Tyler, everything, man. Y'all are, y'all are the best. I want to get out there to the left field lounge. And, uh, and hey, hopefully we got a good game coming up on Saturday. We'll see what happens. Thanks, Peter. Thanks. Later, boys. All right, guys. Another This Is Our Show in the books. Another LSU week in the books. <sighs> this was so much more fun a couple of years ago. If we have another week like we had the past few weeks, this is our show. Might be this is um, it. <laughs> this, this is our last show. This is or, our last show. <laughs> or it might be more of a more than a yearly offering. I told okay. you at the beginning. This is therapeutic for me. We might so, we might have to come back around the egg bowl. We'll see if we can figure something out. Uh, all right, that, that sounds good. All right, Bob. For Stephen Agostino, do you want to woo? Yeah, let's start it over. Let's sure. It. No, 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 no need to retape or anything. We'll just go right into it. From no, Stephen Agustinelli. Woo! I'm Brian Haydad. Thanks for listening to This Is Our Show slash Thunder and Lightning on Super Talk, Mississippi. Yeah!
Talk Mississippi Media Production.